I want you to get in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Hebrews 11. We're actually in a four-part mini-series. I thought I could do it in three. I cannot. It's going to be a four-part mini-series called By Faith. I started it last week. And we are talking about uh, Hebrews, this concept of Jesus being an anchor for the soul. And this is really the most famous of all the Hebrew chapters. Most people know this chapter, and here's what I hope you find today. I hope you find that our time in Genesis over the last couple of years is really helpful to you in understanding and unpacking these verses of Hebrews more accurately. And so what we want to do is we want to learn this first verse that leads out this chapter We want to say it again. We want to focus on some of the key words. I want to review and then jump right back into what we have and do by faith. So let's say Hebrews 11.1 together. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's unpack two key words, substance, hypostasis. It is the foundational component of that which we hope for. And it is not a hope like, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish this would happen. It is an expectation built on a solid foundation. The hope of Scripture, the hope of God, which is revealed in Scripture, is sure. It is certain. So it's not a hope blindly, and it's not a faith blindly. It, in fact, is evidence of things not seen. There is overwhelming, abundant evidence that the uncreated creator made all that we see out of that which was not. He made the visible from the invisible. And what he's doing now is he's asking us in these days, walk by faith. And one day, your faith will become sight. And he said, I'm going to prove that to you by reminding you of the great men and women that came before you. They trusted me and they walked by faith. And in the same way, Jeff mentioned that he looked at his father as a hero. When he got in that car, he said, that is a hero to me. When I thought about that, I thought about my own father. And, and far from a perfect man, he'd be the first to tell you. But I can, I can just tell you looking at it now that my father's faith has now become sight. And I'd like to have that legacy, that trajectory, my hero, not perfect, surely made his share of mistakes, as does his son, but a hero that went before me. And so these heroes of our faith we see before us really mark the way. And their sons, and their sons' sons, and those after them. It's a beautiful thing. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. It's a court word. Means we have more than enough evidence of things not seen. Let's say it again with those key words. Ready? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. One day we will see them, just not yet. What did we discover last week? I gave you some quotes. Faith is choosing to live as though the Bible is true, regardless of circumstances, emotions, or cultural trends. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Faith is living trust. Remember, we used the latter. I said it is both intellectual assent and active trust. You can't just describe Jesus. you got to put all your weight on Jesus. It's both and. And faith is belief that impacts behavior. You should live and walk and move in accordance with your faith. That's why. We're a year out from an election. It's very simple. You ought to vote. You ought to be a responsible citizen if you are 18 or older, and you ought to do so as you walk by faith. 
I'm not telling you a candidate or even a party, but you do it by your faith. Your faith is guiding you and guarding you, and you certainly don't leave your faith before you walk into the voting booth. You carry it everywhere you go. In fact, you might even say it this way, it carries you wherever you go. And uh, we're gonna, we're, I'll talk about Israel in the context of this text in a moment. But remember, by faith we obtain a good testimony. By faith we understand creation and time. By faith we please God. You cannot make your creator happy today if you don't have faith in him. And by faith we receive, remember the gift, we receive righteousness and salvation because Jesus cried to Telestai. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching as I talk because um, I couldn't take time to unpack this and give you like 17 points that I needed. So you're going to get four, but I'm going to unpack this a little as we go. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And, and, and you just have to, we'll, we'll unpack that, okay? For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That is a twofold statement. There was an earthly city, there was an earthly place, but Abraham ultimately went to that heavenly city that God promised him by faith. In fact, his wife as well, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Ladies, how many of you want to be pregnant at 89 or 90? No hands are good. Dudes, how many of you want to get her pregnant at 99 and have a kid at 100? Not unless you're like Harrison Ford or something. It's just weird. No. And so it says she, she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Did she have some doubts? Did she laugh? Yes, she did. Most of these cats had some doubts. Most of these guys and gals didn't understand it all. Most of them struggled and stumbled along the way. But they demonstrated that in the end, they had faith, and God honored their faith. Verse 12, therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead. <laughs> That's the way God looks at your seed, fellows, when you're 99 or 100. They were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude. I love that. Innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now, guys, one of the reasons we should be praying for Israel, one of the reasons that we're going to have a Q&A and dig deep on Israel is because through a man named Abram, who became Abraham, through his wife Sarah, God would create a people, a nation, his chosen people, through whom we would have Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. And these people are a special set-apart people in a special set-apart place. So this is not political. This is not this party or this thing. It goes much deeper than that. We should be praying and be friends of Israel because they are the people of God. Now, we have been grafted into this vine, but God is not finished with them. And we're going to unpack that much more deeply in days to come. But notice the conclusion of the matter from 13 and on. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. They embraced them and confessed they're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, as do we. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity return, to return. But now... 
They desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Guys, don't miss what we've been learning in Hebrews. He's trying to say to these Jews that are in fear, hey, 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 your forefathers didn't go back. Hey, don't forget they pressed on for the prize. You do as well. Don't go back. When the tough things come, when it's hard, when it's brutal, press forward because God has a place for you. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered of Isaac. That's where we actually stopped in Genesis 22. He offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his monogenes, only begotten son, same exact uh, word from John 3.16, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You see, this is a special son, but Abraham had rushed ahead of God. There was another son born to the maidservant. His name was Ishmael. His people would be a warlike people, and there would be tensions between the people of Hagar or Ishmael and the people of God or Isaac. Folks, that is what we see today. We are seeing the hatred and the tension. It stems from a family tree that has the same roots. That tree is in Abraham, and we're seeing problems today. Don't be so shallow as to think it is political. It is bigger. It is in this biblical narrative, so we must be informed. And so he says this, we have Isaac, the son of promise, and by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Those are his sons concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, who had, remember, wrestled with God, renamed Israel. When he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. He was a special son. Remember, he was that special young son, he and Benjamin. And it says that he blessed the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on top of his staff. And by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. Remember, a Pharaoh would rise that did not care for Joseph nor his people. He would enslave the people of God, the Hebrews or the Jews, and they would eventually be delivered by a stuttering fellow named what? Moses. And God would bring them out. And he said that when he was dying, he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones, meaning, I want to go with you. Don't leave me back here. Don't leave me in a foreign land. Take me home to the promised land. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible text. It is heavily dependent on our understanding, if you will, of the Old Testament. And it breaks my heart that there are some today, in order to be cute and culturally trendy, that say we must unhitch or unhinge the Old and the New Testaments, that we really focus on the new. But we would never understand the new without the old. And we would never understand the problem that we have that is the, the problem of sin, original sin, inherited from our forefathers. And then when we understand the problem, we understand the only solution in Jesus Christ. And we understand that Jesus has a promised land awaiting us. We are now part of the family of God. We have been brought in, grafted in to the vine. And we now are receiving the promised inheritance. So may we be mindful of this history so that we can appreciate our present and understand our future. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Thank you and be seated. Let me give you guys four more foundational truths to help us understand and live by faith. First, by faith we obey God completely. See, when we live by faith, it's not just stuff we get. It's also the way we live. It's also what we do. When we walk by faith, we obey God completely. And you know, the reality is none of us do that perfectly. We all stumble, we all fall, but when we walk by faith, God enables us to do far more than we could on our own. Think about what he says in eight and nine. Abraham obeyed. Did God tell him exactly where to go? No, he didn't. In fact, look at it, Genesis 12, one to four. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a what? A land I will show you. I just want you to leave. In other words, God said, Abram, start walking. Abram, get your stuff, get your people, and go. And remember, folks, God doesn't steer parked cars. We gotta be moving. We're walking by faith. He said, I'll show you this land and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. You'll be a blessing. He was 75 when God said this, by the way. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a messianic prophecy because Jesus came through Abraham and all the world is blessed through Jesus. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Lot goes with him. He's 75 years old when he departs. How many kids did he have at the time? 0.0. How many years would he wait, do a little math, till the son of promise would be born? 25. 25 years. She conceives when he's 99, birth at 100. 25 years he waits. And he said, I'm going to take you to this place of inheritance. We know it as the land of Canaan. We know it today as the Holy Land, that land where all of the fighting is happening. And he's far from his original home in Ur of the Chaldeans. And he went not by GPS, not by road map. He wasn't sporting Google or Waze or Apple Maps. He went by faith. God said, go, and he went. And sometimes you got to do things when you don't understand why you do them. Back in the day, and you athletes understand that, we've all been told to do stuff by coaches that we didn't quite understand at the time, right? Daniel's son understood it from Mr. Miyagi. You remember that story. I won't do it again. But back in the day, in my second season of doing these shows in uh, Bush Entertainment, I was hired to be a vocal coach. And all that meant is this. On the vocal side of things, you needed somebody to teach parts and warm the singers and dancers up every day. The dancers didn't like nor understand what I did, but they also had dance coaches, and I had to do what they said, and I didn't like it nor understand it. This body doesn't stretch very well, but they had me doing silly, goofy things every single day so I wouldn't hurt myself. And I'm like, why am I doing this? This is not pleasant. And they said, well, why do you make us do silly things over here? I'd make them say red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. You say that fast enough, it's sounds like you've got the gift of tongues. And so we would do these warm-up things. I would play this tune on the piano and go, many mumbling mice are making merry music in the moonlight, mighty nice dum-dum, many mumbling mice. And we'd go over and over and over. And they'd say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And yet we would fix their articulation and we would help them because they really knew how to dance and not so much sing. And some of us could sing a little, but really couldn't dance. But we had to do the exercises so that when it came time, 
we were hitting our marks and doing our things. And sometimes it seems monotonous and we don't understand. God says, do this. I'm supposed to read the word. I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to go to church. I'm supposed to be generous and give my time, talent, treasure. And sometimes we don't understand. But folks, I'm telling you, when you walk by faith, you learn to obey completely because the battles will come. The challenges will be there, and it's no stage show. It is life. And if you are not doing those things to be prepared in the same way you would condition your body, in the same way, just like I would see the voice is just another muscle, these are just fibers and we must keep it up. And I had no idea back then, because I never, ever, ever, ever thought I would be talking, speaking, I never thought that doing some things back then has enabled me to do what I do today with less fatigue, although it's tiring, but with less fatigue and more uh, shape and to be able to do things over and over and over again and speak a lot and do meetings a lot. I had no idea that some of those things would come into play today, but God knew it. But by faith, we obey God completely. Abraham learned that. By faith, you'll like this one, we experience miracles. We like that. We experience miracles. You see it uh, way past the age, at 90. Sarah was long past childbearing age, never been able to conceive, but God would give her a child in her later years by faith. Verse 11, it's pretty funny. She's past the age. Um, I can't imagine having a child at 90 or 100 Abraham, it says, was as good as dead. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? I mean, you're as good as dead, buddy. But it said, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand of the seashore. Now, look, I know that's hyperbolic, okay? That's a stretch, but the Bible has quite a bit of that because it's basically saying from nothing God would bring a nation. It's pretty amazing stuff here. And so when we think about it, Abraham and Sarah are too old to have children, but they both believed God could do a miracle. Doubt or unbelief says this, God, how can this be? That's doubt or unbelief. That's kind of like Zechariah asking about John the Baptist. But then you could say like the Virgin Mary with the, with the angelic announcement of Jesus, how will this be? How will this be? In other words, I've not known a man. How will you work this out? One is, is believing it's saying, God, I believe you can. Let's talk about how we're going to navigate this. What does this look like? You see, some people believe that miracles ended with the cessation of the Bible, meaning when the canon was closed and the Bible was written, miracles as we see them in the Old Testament no longer exist. But I'm not that guy. I'm not a cessationist. I'm actually what we call an open but cautious continuationist. I might have made that up, but that's what I call myself. Meaning I believe the miracles continue. I'm open to them. I'm cautious because I don't want to see a miracle um, around every corner, meaning that, you know, oh, look at that. Just because you say it, that makes it so. That's not true. But I have seen miracles. I mean, being in the, the room with my sweetheart when all four of our children came into this world, I was witnessing a miracle. I, I, if you've experienced that, there's nothing quite like that. The fact that love brought two of us together and by that seed we have these totally unique humans that come into the world, not by chance, not by natural selection, 
but as a gift from Almighty God who knit them in her womb and then to see them born and then to be with all four years later down the road as they were staggered in birth, they were staggered in their second birth. They were born again. And I watched my children have a change of heart as God created in them a new heart and a new life. And I see them up here and I see them serve and I see them walk with God. And miracles, and I've seen miracles near and far and miracles over and over. And um, I tell you one thing, we love a lot about living here. We really do. Um, Man, you look up at that sky in the morning or in the evening. You see, I know why UT's orange, right? I know they, they slept yesterday. The team didn't make it to Missouri. I get it. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm sorry they didn't make it. But you look at that, that sky and you see a miracle. And behind that orange glow, do you know what other color you see? Carolina blue, baby, who got the job done. Second overtime. Sorry, Duke fans. Losers. Anyway, so somebody got it done. Sorry, Parker. I know that just hurt my son-in-law's feelings. It's okay. Here's the reality, though. I know that God is still in the miracle business. And you say, yes, but I've never seen what Abram saw or I've never experienced what Sarah experienced. But if you'll walk by faith, you'll begin to see the fingerprints of God all around you. You'll begin to see God doing things. You want to see some miracles? Come to Feeding the 5,000. Come to, you say, yeah, pastor, but you're not standing up there and multiplying loaves and fishes out of your hands. Yes, but we put out the vision and together we're supplying all that we can to love people. I cannot do that alone. Most of you can't do that alone, but together we will do that and then we'll share of them the kingdom of God and we will see people born again from the path of hell and separation to the path of heaven walking with God. We will see miracles. Do not discount our miracle working God, but you'll see them by faith. We experience miracles by faith. By faith, we obey God. By faith, we wait, and we don't like this word. I don't like this word. We wait for the fulfillment of God's promises. That's a toughie. Look at 10. 10, then 13 and following. 10 says, he waited. Abram waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 13 and following. They died in faith having not received the promises, but they saw them afar off and were assured of them. And it goes on to say that there was a better country. They didn't go backwards because they were looking ahead to something better. And waiting is one of the most difficult disciplines of life. I'll tell you, for me personally, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And yet, years ago, early in ministry, I did a biblical word study on wait. It's in the Bible a lot. Wait on the Lord. Wait, 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 wait. And it does not mean sit down, do nothing, twiddle your thumbs. It actually means movement. It's normally active in the way that the the word is structured from the original language. It's actually mostly active that says, I am eagerly anticipating God is doing something here and I'm going to continue to move believing that God is working. Believing, as as Henry Blackaby said many years ago in Experiencing God, God is always working somewhere. I will look and see and join him. I will see where God is working and join him in the work. And so this waiting idea, Abraham didn't know exactly where he was going. 
But he had to get up and start moving simply because God said move. And they recognized that they were strangers and pilgrims in this land, that this was not their original land. But they didn't turn around and go back to Ur. They didn't turn around and go back to Haran. They actually stayed, and God was their God. Verse 16 says, But now they desire a better, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham and his family that would follow lived through some pretty tough challenges. But let me, write, let me get you to jot this down if you're a note taker. Life is not merely about what you live through, but who you look to. It wasn't just about the challenges that they lived through, but who they chose to look to. And all through the years of ministry, I've been given this question in various forms. Normally a couple times a year it'll come up. Somebody will email me, call me, stop me and say, I just am curious though, how were the folks in the Old Testament saved? I mean, Jesus hadn't been born into the earth yet. Jesus hadn't died for their sins. Jesus hadn't been buried and raised. Well, remember, God's timeless. With him, a thousand years is a day. A day is as a thousand years. He is above time. He is above space. He is greater than all of that, creating that, in fact. And so, to God, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. But these Old Testament saints, I will explain to people, were saved the exact same way we're saved. It's just a matter of where you are. So let's say this is the cross. This is when time shifted. This is where Jesus died, was buried, and raised to new life. Well, only a generation or two lived in that window of 33, 33 and a half years. Very few people lived, relatively speaking, in human history to that sliver of time. So let's say this is the cross. This is the, even the life of Jesus. Old Testament saints over here were looking ahead to the promise of the chosen of God, the promised Messiah, and by faith were believing that God could even raise from the dead. That's what he said of Isaac. We are looking back. We see by faith backwards what God did. They saw by faith looking forward. And then them and us all look ahead still to the consummation of time in the eschaton when God brings it all together to completion. When sin and Satan are cast down, when the demons are sent to that lake of fire, when God is setting it all right and his people are gathered around his throne and we worship and serve and laugh and grow and do all these things. And yes, I even say grow in the sense of we don't know everything, but heaven and eternity will be an opportunity to grow in our knowledge and love for the Lord and we will experience real life. Life like we've never had it, and they were looking ahead to it. We're looking back to it, and we're all together looking ahead. And so by faith, we wait for the fulfillment of God's promises. And I know it's tough, but it won't matter a thousand years from now. It just won't matter. Only Christ and the things of eternity will matter by faith, we obey God completely, experience miracles, learn to wait, and then finally, by faith, we bless others. Look at this. Abraham, he was going to offer up his only begotten son, believing God could raise him from the dead. And so God blessed him. And by faith, 20, by faith, verse 20, Isaac blessed Jacob, his son, and he blessed Esau, his brother. And by faith, Jacob, when he's dying, blessed the sons of Joseph. That's Ephraim and Manasseh. They're not named here, but we know that. And by faith, Joseph, 
He was preparing to depart. He was preparing to die, and he said, hey, they're going to carry me from here. Remember, it was really through Joseph that God's people end up in Egypt. You remember all of that, how he was raised up to second in Pharaoh's house, and so they're there, and he said, look, don't leave me here. Don't leave my bones. It would be 400 plus years, but he said, don't leave my bones here. Take them back. Take them to the promised land, the land of my father's. And we see this generational blessing here. Think about it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, his sons, five generations of men. We're talking all the way to great, great, great grandfather stuff here. And he said, look, these, none of these men were perfect. All of these men wrestled and struggled and stumbled. And yet, by faith, this child trusted the Lord, as did this child, as did this child. I'll tell you something great that happened a couple of weeks ago. Heather sent us a video. It was just audio of her and Parker in their room, and they were listening to Lucy and Sophia. I'm assuming Sophia was asleep. They share a little bedroom. And Lucy was singing to the top of her lungs, three years old. And she was singing about the blessing of God and their family, and their children, and their children, and their children. And you just hear her repeating this, singing out loud. And I'm thinking, praise God for children, for a daughter and son-in-law who are teaching the things of God to their child, who will very likely one day teach them to her child. God willing, our great, oh, that's old, our great grandchild. (laughs) Think about this blessing but she's singing about generational blessing that you teach it to your children and their children and their children. And it's a beautiful thing. In spite of his failures, Jacob had faith in the word of God to bless his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. That's Genesis 48. All the references are actually in your notes. And Joseph knew that Israel one day would one day be delivered from Egypt. And he prayed, take me with you. Now he knows he'll be in the presence of God, but, but take what's left, my bones, take them with you. It's an incredible thing. Isaac, the son of Abraham, would be blessed and his children blessed and their children blessed. And yet it looked like for a moment that wouldn't even happen, right? I mean, when we look at it, it says that Isaac was the one that God was telling Abraham to sacrifice. And remember what the child asked him. Father, we have the wood here and we have this and we have that, but where's the animal? And remember, look at the screen. Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so they kept going. And then consider when his child is bound and he's laying there on that altar. Or how We don't know exactly actually how old he was. He was old enough to know. He was old enough to ask good questions. But imagine he's laying there, knife raised, and you know that God has asked you to do this, and yet God's also said, through this kid, there'll be a multitude. And you said, well, God will raise him. God is a God of resurrection. How many resurrections had happened in the Bible heretofore? At that point, 0.0 resurrections. Abraham was speaking purely by faith. He had never seen such. Now, we would see recitations later in the Scripture, but not to this point. And what did God say in Genesis 22? Do not lay your hand on the lad. Don't do anything. Now I know that you fear God. You've not withheld your son. Notice this, monogenes, your only son from me. 
When Abraham lifted his eyes and he didn't see a lamb, the lamb would come thousands of years later. He saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns and he took that and we have now a substitutionary sacrifice. We have blood spilt from another to pay what God was asking. How could Abraham sacrifice Isaac when God designated him the child of promise? Because he chose to walk by faith and God said, I will honor that faith. I will provide a substitution for you. And see, the reality is, friends, when we think about this, when we think about what God did there, he was doing something even greater but very similar 2,000 years ago there outside of the city walls of Jerusalem on a mound called Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the skull. There, it was very obvious that our sin had separated us from our creator. Even those who walked most closely with the Lord Jesus himself had left him, had fled, had denied them because truth is, all of us would deny him at times. Now we have his spirit. Remember, they did not yet have his spirit guiding them and guarding them. So we have it better than they did. People will argue, oh, but it would have been better if I could have heard him teach, if I could have walked with him. No, it's better for you. You have even more power than they had. Jesus promised it because you have the person of the spirit of the living God in you if you're a child of God today. And so now we look by faith and we see that God said, I demand a sacrifice. You are sinners. Your sin has separated you from me. You will die in your trespasses and sins. It's what I told our first father, Adam. It's what he and Eve discovered very personally in the Garden of Eden. It's why I had to kick them out and banish them and curse them in this land. Sin has infected and affected everyone and everything, and yet there is a substitutionary sacrifice. You didn't have to shed your blood because Jesus shed his blood in our place, and there we look by faith. And when we look by faith, we see God kept his promises. They look ahead. We look back. And together we all look forward to the day when faith becomes sight. By faith we obey God completely. By faith we experience miracles. By faith we learn to wait for the fulfillment of God's promises. And by faith we bless others. I am convinced there are too many people that say they walk by faith that stop on lap six. And they would see the walls crumble down if they just walk another lap. I have a pet peeve. I call it a hair shirt. I heard that years ago and it stuck with me. I don't know if I've explained that to y'all. Y'all know what a hair shirt is. It's where you go to the, the, the barber and they cut your hair and then it gets caught in your collar and for the rest of the day it's like, oh man, and you got hair and it just irritated. Y'all know people like that? You probably have hair shirts in your life, right? Don't look at them. Don't look at them. That's rude. But you just got people that you just, oh my word, and you just, you just want a hot shower, right? You just want something, what a sticky roller. You just want something. There's a hair shirt that I have, and it is a, a pet peeve where what we try to do, what, what the world tries to do, is wall off Christian faith, and they don't really do it with all religions or all faith. They really do it with Christianity because Christianity is an exclusive faith. 
It's like when I was on the plane with the Hare Krishna follower a few weeks ago. Remember, Hinduism says you be a good you. You can have your God and we'll have our gods. And there are many false faiths out there that say you do you, we'll do us. Christianity is unique in that it is exclusive. It says Christ is really the only way. And it's the only thing that makes sense, by the way. There can't be 100,000 ways to get there, folks. It's foolishness, and it makes God cruel and unusual to kill his son if there are multiple ways. So it's just foolishness, and it's completely illogical. But yet, people, I have this hair shirt that people want to wall off Christians and say they live in the world of myth and fantasy. They live in the world, you'll hear them use a funny word here in a moment. They live in this world where all they do is walk blindly and they believe in this divine genie kind of a concept. Well, that is ludicrous. Now, you're going to have to listen fast because if you think I talk fast, this guy on the screen in a second who's narrating, he's going to say a lot in a couple of minutes. But it is an extremely well done video that hits at the issue of what is biblical faith and what is it not. And so I wanted to draw it all together with this short clip. Listen very fast. Faith, the final frontier. These are the voyages, no, it's ridiculous, although that's where most people take this topic to science fiction. Faith, what is it really? A magic feeling that we get to help us through tough times? A mystical bridge between fact and fiction? Is it really blind? Is it a word we use when we can't explain ourselves? Is it real on any level? Let's investigate. Hypothetical. A person says to you, I sure do wish I could believe in Millie Buggins like you do. I just don't have that kind of faith. Well, what that person is really saying is that Millie Buggins aren't real. And you are the type of person who believes in unreal things. And it takes this strange faith thing that not many other people have for you to get there. Okay, in the nicest way possible then, this person is calling you insane, or at best just a little nutty. So you have this odd capability of believing in something you desperately wish to be true, but you just can't be sure if it is. However, since it makes you feel better, it's worth it for you. Well, that pretty much sums up what faith means to most people. In other words, the stronger your faith, the more ridiculous the belief must be, because after all, a little faith helps you believe in things that probably aren't true, so then their really powerful faith will be the kind of faith you absolutely know something isn't true, but you still believe it anyway. Thus, faith is reduced to some blind anecdotal act that magically suspends disbelief of reality in order to make you feel better. But you gotta wonder, is this really the kind of faith the Bible talks about? Let's look at the word again, okay? Let's refocus. The Bible refers to faith really in only one way. It's like this. Suppose I say, I have faith that my friend will repay me the 10 bucks he owes me on Saturday because he said he would. See, there's nothing strange about that faith and nobody would fault me for having it if they knew my friend. Because what I'm saying essentially are three things. One, my friend is real. Two, he's trustworthy. And three, which is really a subset of two, I believe one and two because I have a relationship with my friend. Now, for just a second, let's get morbid to make a critical illustration. What if my friend died on the way to give me my 10 bucks back? He didn't come through. No matter how much faith I had in him, how real and completely trustworthy he may have been, he didn't have the power to live up to my faith. Was he really any less trustworthy or any less real? No. But the person or object on which I place my faith is an essential part of how strong my faith should be. I mean, how much faith do you have that your two-year-old basset hound can drive your new Lexus to the bank and bring you back $1,000 in 20s? None, I hope. But now, turn that analogy of my friend and your dog toward God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, and incapable of lying, and ask yourself this. 
On whom does it make the most sense to place your greatest faith? Well, I'll tell you, anyone who has a right relationship with God, and quite honestly, anyone who doesn't, knows he is the only one capable of doing everything he says, the only one with the knowledge of the future, the only one who understands everything, the only one who really knows you, and the only one who has revealed through nature and his word who he is and what he's done, how much he loves you, and why he is the only completely trustworthy one there is. Got it? Good. In summary then, faith in God is always a response to truth and reality and has nothing to do with blind leaps, the USS Enterprise, or wishful thinking. Trust me. God is real. The testimony of billions of us will confirm. God is trustworthy. He is true and cannot lie. His yes is always yes and his no, no. And you can have a relationship with this God. Now, Every human being ever born, living today, or that will be, walks by faith. Now listen to me as I close. Everybody has presuppositions and even inherent bias. All of us. Do not let a subset of pseudo-intellectuals try to pretend that they have figured it out and they walk by fact, not faith. The fact is, we all live by faith. You're going to stand in a theistic position where you believe in the one true and living God and some believe in false gods, little g. But you're going to believe that there is the uncreated creator who got this all going and superintends it today. Or you're going to take a by-faith position humanistically or anthropocentrically. So you're going to be God-centered, theocentric, or man-centered, anthropocentric. You can't have it any other way but those. You will have variations and combinations, but if you try to mix the two, you'll end up messed up in a place of untruth. And so all I'm saying, and all the writer of Hebrews is saying, is this is true and trustworthy. The God who made us, the God who sustained our forefathers, the God who has brought us here will see us through. And you can trust that God and walk with him. And yes, it may cost you all the way to your very life. But there will be a promise coming that is so far greater. And the glory that awaits will not even compare to the suffering that we face now. It is incomparable, inconceivable. It is glory beyond glory. And you can have that by faith. Or you can put your faith in a moving target. Men and women who are at best taking guesses and trying to figure out life without God. And what you'll find is that every little bit, they'll change the target. They'll change the language. They'll change the theory because it's not real without God. So what I'm asking you to do today is I'm asking you to trust him. Look at history. Look at the present Consider your future. Will you respond to God today? Will you trust and obey? Will you drive the doubts away? You say, how, Bobby Ray? By faith. Stand with me this morning. Yes, that's my real middle name. You couldn't get more country if you tried. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.